Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to turn with me to Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Amos 9, 13 to 15. Very rarely do uh, will you hear messages out of the minor prophets, but uh, the Lord has just had me in a season of reading through and studying the minor prophets in the Old Testament. There's lots of renewal passages, revival passages, revi- uh, uh, restoration passages. And so we are going to look at... Uh, Amos chapter 9, verse 13. And this is what God prophesied through his servant Amos. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God." I want to speak to you today on the subject of divine acceleration. I believe that we're in a season of divine acceleration. I believe that what is on the house and what God is doing in our lives this time is not just meant for me, the staff uh, and the, the, the board or the elders. It's meant for you. If you're planted in this house, God is wanting to impart to you divine acceleration in your calling, in your gifts, in your purpose, in all that He has called you to. And uh, over recent months, God has been speaking this same message into my spirit. It was a few weeks ago now that our church planters and people who are being trained to plant churches were in a prophetic presbytery where we invite our prophetic eagles in to prophesy the word of the Lord to them. And Roma Waterman, who's part of that team, uh, looked at the group and said, does the time 321 mean anything to anybody? And I immediately put up my hand because three nights in a row, the week before, without her knowing, I'd woken up at 3.21 a.m. Three nights in a row. And I'm like, I was not, I can honestly tell you, I was not prophetic in that moment. I was not there thinking, oh, Jesus, what do you have to say to me? I'm like, oh, Jesus, can I please go to sleep? And so I wake up at the same time, three nights in a row, and she looks at me and says, this is the word of the Lord to you. Three, two, one, blast off. And she began to unpack this word about divine acceleration and how God was giving myself, my family and this house grace to step into an accelerated season of fruitfulness, growth and expansion. 
Immediately I received that word, I was reminded of a prophecy from Dr. Michael Maiden back three years ago at our last conference where he declared that what would, uh, has taken 50 years would take five years and what has taken uh, 10 years would take one year. And there was this sense of divine sort of compression of fruitfulness and, and all that has gone on in the past to be poured out in one particular moment. Just last week, I received a prophetic word about what it would take normally 20 years was going to take five years and, and, and that there was a calling higher for us to begin to think God's thoughts, dream God's dreams. If we want God's ways to become our ways, we've got to begin to think like God. And many of us are just living according to our patterns, our mode of of approaching life rather than approaching life from God's perspective and what God wants to do in our lives at this time. And so God was speaking to me in June about all of us entering into a season of God's grace where we accelerate in His purposes and in fruitfulness and in our call upon our lives. And so the question needs to be asked, what does divine acceleration look like? Well, the prophet Amos speaks to this idea of renewal, revival. And Amos was a shepherd called to be a prophet to Israel at a time when Israel had forsaken their first love. They had stopped worshipping and honouring God according to the statutes and commandments and traditions that God had established for them through the Mosaic law. They had abandoned their heartfelt worship. They had rested in the arm of the flesh rather than doing the things of the Spirit. And so Amos was called by God to prophesy and call Israel to return back to their first love. And then if they were to return to their first love, that God would revive, He would repair, He would renew. And so from verse 11 right through to verse 15 is a declaration and a prophecy of impending revival, of revival that is coming to Israel. And in fact, this prophecy actually is not just relevant for that present day Israel when they received this word. It actually speaks of the church age that was birthed on the day of Pentecost right up until until today, and so this word, this prophecy is relevant for every single one of us in this room. And there are several things that God was saying to Israel that He's saying to us. One of those things in verse 11 He declares is that He would restore the house or the booths of David that has fallen. Speaking of the Davidic influence and dynasty and covenant that God made with David, that He would restore that. Not only that, but the restoration of the booth of David speaks of the restoration of the tabernacle of David, which is worship. Whenever there is a move of God. There is an accompanying sound. There is a sound of worship. And before there can be renewal and revival, there must be an encounter with God in worship and prayer and fasting that God brings as part of the cleansing, renewing process into a new move of the Spirit. But then God says, I'll restore influence and I'll restore prosperity to my people. These are the themes that run through the minor prophets. 
And so in verse 13, the prophet Amos declares, inspired by the Spirit of God, behold, the days are coming. Interesting, the prophet does not say, behold, the years are coming. Behold, the months are coming. Behold, the weeks are coming. The text says, behold, the what? The days are coming. So in other words, revival is imminent. I want to speak that over you today. Revival is imminent. Revelation 3.20, God says, inspired by the Spirit, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him and eat with them and you with me. It's an invitation to intimacy and fellowship. It's an invitation for the Spirit of God to come in his manifest glory and power and knock on your door and have fellowship with you, to revive you, to renew you, to refresh you. It would be arrogant to think that we are the ones who make revival happen, that we are the ones that knock on the door of God's heart and that somehow He is reluctant to answer that door and we've got to appease Him and we've got to perform for Him, for Him to move on our behalf. Oh no, God is knocking on the door of your heart today. God is knocking on the door of the heart of this church and it's our response. We offer ourselves freely in the day of your power. It's our response to the knocking of God's hand upon the door of our heart that determines whether or not we live in a place of renewal, revival and refreshment. Funny story, a few years ago when we were living in another property and my wife, Simone, was out in the backyard doing some gardening and the kids, along with their cousins, when they were much younger, were in the living room having fun and all of a sudden there was a knock at the door. And so we taught our kids because they were so young, if ever there's a knock at the door, doorbell rings, do not answer the door, just come and get a parent. And so the kids uh, momentarily forgot that wise instruction and just freaked out and started to panic as the, the door knocking was taking place. And then after a few minutes of not doing anything about that, the door handle actually started to move and now they're really freaking out. And so fear turns to panic. So they run downstairs to the backyard and they grab their mum and... Uh, they say, Mum, there's someone trying to get into the house. And now Simone, it's like the transference of panic and fear has now moved to Mum. And now Mum is coming up the stairs and sees the door handle moving and someone trying to get into the house, which is a little weird, doesn't happen every day. And so as the door knocking is happening, my wife yells out, go away or I'll call the cops, right? There's this pause and then the door knocking continues. And so now she's like, what the heck is going on? She goes to the front bedroom window, looks out, and it's the poor Thai delivery guy trying to bring takeaway that Simone ordered one hour before for the kids and the family. And embarrassingly, she goes around, opens the door, and here is a young Thai man saying, Pad Thai. He's just been waiting there for nearly 15 minutes. He's committed to delivering his Thai food. 
That is like many of us. God is knocking on the door of our heart and we think that he's going to give us something that's going to hurt us. He even may even try the door handle to try and say, come on, I want to bring you into something. And we're like, go away. You're, you're a little bit freaky, Holy Spirit. I don't know about how you move over here and how you move over there. Go away. But I'm telling you today, it's time to open the door to the Holy Spirit. It's time to open the door of what God is wanting to do in your life, in this church, in this hour, in Jesus' name. We've got to have the same spirit, the same attitude that Moses had when God appeared in the form of a burning bush and began to speak to Moses. God has no formula when it comes to showing up in your life and revealing himself. God can speak to you one way and speak to someone else in an entirely different way. All throughout the Bible, last week, if you didn't hear the message on God encounters, you need to. Because in that message, I talk about all the different ways that you and I can encounter God. All throughout the Bible, there are all sorts of visitations and the right response in all of those encounters, like Moses, we are to have the posture and the attitude of our hearts that says, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Some of you aren't walking into or stepping into the fullness of what God intends for you because you're not willing to turn aside to see. You've got to turn aside to see. Don't say, go away or I'll call the you know, church police on you, God. No, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight of what it is that you want to do. Let us not be like Israel or Jerusalem who in the Gospels, the Bible says in Luke 19, 44, that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Israel. Why? Because they did not know their day of visitation. They didn't know that the Messiah, the, the promised one, the one that all the major and minor prophets have been declaring for centuries, they missed their appointed window of opportunity. There are two dimensions of time in the Bible. One dimension of time is chronos time. That is the ticking of the clock, the turning of the calendar. Most people live their life, jobs, relationships, finances, according to the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar. If you only live by natural means, you will only ever have natural results. If you want supernatural fruit, supernatural results, you need to understand, perceive and connect with Kairos time. Kairos time is God appointed moment and window of opportunity in your life. That as you live your life, the times and the seasons, seed time and harvest, day and night, God is up to something new in your life. We're in a Kairos moment. You're in a Kairos moment. We've got to perceive what God is asking of us, what He's wanting to do in us and through us so that we can maximize the season that we are in. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 43 declares, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm making streams in the wasteland, rivers in the desert. We've been singing it all service this morning. So if you're gonna swim in that river, if you're gonna jump into the purpose of God for your life, you first of all gotta perceive it. Yeah. And you can't perceive it by reason or, or, or natural understanding, but by faith we understand. We access it by the spirit of faith and a renewed mind to perceive what God is about to do in our lives. 
And so the prophet Amos, he not only says, behold, the days are coming, but Amos, what is about to come? He declares it in the next part of verse 13. He said, the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. In other words, in revival, harvest is accelerated. There is an acceleration of harvest when the Spirit of God gets about reviving His people. He's saying in this passage that the sower, sowing the seed, will overtake the reaper. The grain harvest will be so extensive, so significant that those who are harvesting won't be able to keep up with the amount of grain that is being harvested. And so the sower will begin to plough and begin to sow the seed immediately in for the new season that is about to happen. Then he says, the grape treader will overtake the wine maker. In other words, grapes will grow so abundantly that the wine makers can't keep up with the wine production, the fruitful process. In other words, he's speaking to both the pace, the speed of the growth, but he's also speaking to the quantity of the harvest that God is not only wanting to bring for Israel, but for the church of Jesus Christ in this hour. Back in the early to mid 90s, there was a move of God, a revival in Canada uh, known as the Toronto Blessing. It was based out of a church called Toronto Airport Fellowship. Dr. John and Carol Arnott were the pastors of the church. There was only 120 people in the church at the start of this revival. And Randy Clark, a great healing evangelist, spent 60 days ministering in that church and 60 days turned into 20. 12 and a half years of a mighty outpouring of the Spirit, six days a week, Tuesday night to Sunday night. Literally, the building saw millions upon millions of people encounter God, come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. The church went from 120 to 1,000 in one year. And then they saw such a move of God that 11,000 churches that they could actually document and, and statistically record were were impacted by the moving of the Spirit right across Western nations and all across the world. There was a young man by the name of Nicky Gumbel who was in the Toronto Blessing who went on to found a global ministry called Alpha. And in the UK alone, once that ministry started at Holy Trinity Brompton, 250,000, a quarter of a million people in the United Kingdom alone gave their heart to Jesus. Because in revival, harvest is accelerated. God can do more with the twinkle of His eyeball than you and I can do in a lifetime of straining and striving in the flesh. I was in worship today and I was just thinking, God, it's just too easy. Once your presence shows up, it's easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is like silence of fussing and striving and, you know, 
spiritually constipated, trying to birth something out in the spirit. And it's like, no, his yoke is easy. His burden is like, it may take you some travail. It may take you some fasting. It may take you some hunger to get there. But once you get there, it's an open heaven. His presence is easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is like, there's something about keeping in step with the spirit. I'm doing a Thomas the Tank Engine. Something about keeping in step with the spirit where all of a sudden you get a spring in your step. You get a Pentecostal two-step and it's all happening. I don't want to fall over. But all I know is, in fact, I do. All I know is when you get in step with the spirit of God, there's an ease. There's a grace. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, revival is contrary to the course of nature, but it is absolutely consistent with God's grace. What's grace? Grace is divine unmerited favour. You didn't do anything to earn it. You and I don't deserve it, but God's grace is given to us. It's sufficient. It's wonderful. It's overflowing. And I've discovered something about God's grace. It's not fair. It's available to everyone, but only those with faith will actually encounter it. And when God's grace and your faith kisses, something supernatural is birthed, right? And so grace, God's grace, doesn't consult your natural circumstances to ask for permission to work in your life. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but when God shows up and wants to move in your life, He moves. Right? And so we've got to understand that everything we have, everything we walk in that is of an accelerated nature in God is a byproduct of partnering in faith with God's grace at work in your life. Ephesians 3.20 says, He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Is God able to heal? Yes and amen. Is He able to clarify your next step in Him through prophecy or a word of knowledge? Yes, He is. Is He able to bring you out of barrenness and into fruitfulness? Yes, He is. But it is exceeding and abundant according to your revelation of the power of God and the grace of God that is at work within you. Often we live, this is for someone in this room, often we live like we are trying to attain something externally to us. When the Spirit of God is trying to work in you for His good pleasure and for His sovereign purposes in your life. And as we partner in faith with the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit and the grace of God that is all sufficient in our lives, He comes and He does the exceeding and abundant above all that you can ask or think. There are people in this room, you're trying to secure resources to fulfill dreams, destiny, callings, and it's elusive. You've tried your whole life. You can't get it. It is according to the power that is at work within you. Not according to your efforts, not according to your strength, not according to education. As important as all those things are, it is according to the power of the Spirit that is at work within you. That's why you've got to cultivate the the relationship with the reviver. You've got to cultivate your internal intimacy. You're going to get GPS happening in your life. God's positioning system in your 
your heart to be able to navigate. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. You've got to cultivate a relationship with the power that is at work within you so the exceeding and abundant can be seen in every single area of your life. Revival is God accelerating in the midst of natural processes, His supernatural intentions according to your partnership. The prophet goes on. It gets better. How many of us know when you read the Word, it just gets better? It starts good and gets better, right? So the plowman's going to overtake the reaper. The grape treader's going to overtake the winemaker. But not only that, there's going to be a whole lot of drip on the mountains because the Bible says in the second half of verse 13, and the treader of grapes after that, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. In other words, in revival, fruitfulness is abundant. It's abundant. It's overflow. It's everywhere. The picture that we have in this passage is that the fruit will be so prolific, the fruit will be so overwhelming that the mountains will drip with wine. Everybody say drip. Drip. Now, for those who are not familiar with the modern vernacular and colloquialism of the word drip, if someone says, you got a bit of drip on today, it means you look good. you got a bit of style. May have been birthed in the hip-hop scene, but the original hip-hop artist, the prophet Amos, declared it that the mountains will drip with wine. And so if you're in a service or you're, you're, you're in a conference session this coming week and the power of God is here, you might just want to turn to somebody next to you and say, it's drippy in here today. There is a whole lot of drip in the house of God. And you say, well, that's just cringe. Yeah, but it works. And so you, you, you got to understand that when God moves in power, fruitfulness takes place. Fruitfulness is given to us. It says in Micah chapter 4, verse 1, in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be the highest of all the mountains. And all the people shall flow to it. What is that speaking of? Mountains not only speak of authority in the spirit, intimacy, vision. Here in this passage, it's speaking of the church of Jesus Christ. That as the world gets darker and more chaotic, the mountain of the house of the Lord grows in strength, grows in prominence. The power, the light, the life of the Spirit of God in the church of Jesus Christ becomes so grand and so uh, contagious that all the people shall flow to it. I believe that one of the reasons why God moves sovereignly in revival according to our partnership of the power that works within us is because as the days become darker, God needs to do an accelerated work in the earth, in the city of Melbourne. How many of us know the city of Melbourne needs a work of revival? The nation of Australia, the nations of the earth, Ukraine, Russia needs a move of God. America needs a move of God. Every nation needs to be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit in revival. And so in revival, God does something that you and I simply cannot do in our own capacity and ability. The picture that Amos is giving to us is ongoing, unending flow of Holy Spirit productivity. What does that look like in the life of the church? It looks like the baptismal pool continually filled with hungry, thirsty souls getting water baptised. 
What does it look like? It looks like testimonies of healings overwhelming us. We've already seen five people with cancer get dramatically and totally healed in Jesus' name. It looks like crutches and wheelchairs and medical equipment being left at the altar. You know, when Smith Wigglesworth back in the late 1920s, early 1930s came and ministered on this platform in the uh, building literally next door, because in 1987 we moved from next door to here, there was such a move of God, so many healings, that so many crutches, medical equipment, wheelchairs were left at the altar that the ministry team put all the medical equipment underneath the platform so that every time the pastor would get up to preach, they would be reminded of what God did to believe in faith for God, what God was about to do. Whenever there's a move of God, two things happen. One, wheelchairs get emptied. Two, wheelchairs get filled. You say, what are you talking about? This last Wednesday night, literally we had to cart people out of the building because they were so drunk in the Holy Ghost and so inebriated with the work of the Spirit, literally. So at Numa, we put people in wheelchairs when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, if you know what I'm talking about. You say, where is that in historical revival? Well, way back in the early days of the Salvation Army, they used to have people dedicated to the stretcher uh, team and literally they'd carry the stretchers in because so many people were falling out in the spirit and out for hours, they had to make room for the next group coming into the prayer meeting. And so they'd lay them on stretchers and escort them out the front, lay them down, roll them off, take the stretcher and go back in. Such was the move of God. You say, where's that in the Bible? The Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the house that the priests could not even stand in the presence of God. Don't allow your lack of experience or your ignorance of how God moves or what the Bible teaches stop you from accessing the fullness of what God wants to bring. When the reviver shows up, there will be a manifestation. When the reviver shows up, something will shift in your life. And all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, we see when the revival breaks out, not only do we encounter Him in such a unique and powerful way, but fruitfulness starts to abundantly produce in our lives. This picture of wine is really significant. Wine in the Bible speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, both gift, gifts of the Spirit, and fruit of the Spirit, which is developed in your character as you walk with the Spirit. Many people are like, oh, I'm not too sure about those gifts. They're a little bit out there and flashy and ooky spooky. I'm just content for character. It's all about character. Yes, character and fruit of the Spirit is a foundation. It gets developed as you walk with God in the midst of your contradictions. But it's not a choice of either or. It's both and. Paul said, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why only have one when you can have both? This is a eat your, have your cake and eat it too type of encounter with the Lord. It's, I don't get that saying, but it, it works in this context. It's sort of like you can not only cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, but you can actually grow in the grace of the gifts of God on your life, the manifestation of the Spirit. And so the Lord is into the Spirit moving in your life. Why? How do we know that? Because if wine is a picture and a 
symbol of the Holy Spirit in John 2 when Jesus shows up and turns water into wine. It isn't just because Jesus is a party animal and wants to have a good time. Jesus is trying to point us to a picture of what he is about to do. What all the prophets, including Amos, have been declaring of what is to come, he's going to pour out his spirit. John the Baptist said, I come to you with a baptism of repentance, but there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wine is a picture, not just of fruitfulness, but of the anointing of the Spirit of God. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 in one sermon, in one day was added to the church. God can do one moment, one day in the anointing, what you and I cannot do in a lifetime. That's why you need to be Ephesians 5.18, filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled. You need to be baptised. You need to be immersed in the fullness of the Spirit if you hope for any fruitfulness to come by your life and out of your life. Jesus said, only those who remain in me and abide in me will bear much fruit. Remaining, how do you remain in Jesus? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. Through the Word of God. And the Word and the Spirit come together and begin to produce fruit in your life as you remain and abide, stay plugged into the PowerPoint of His presence, you will produce fruit. Then the prophet goes on in verse 14 and it just gets better. It's like a commercial. And not only that, it gets better. There's more to come. I will restore, he says, the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. What's happening here? In revival... Restoration leads to habitation. In revival, what God restores in your life now becomes your new spiritual address. It becomes a permanent place of dwelling. Many of us know the experience of everyday life in our homes, the reality of busyness, time schedules, work, bills, chores, cleaning the house, going to work, dropping the kids off at school, pick up Uber service. We all, we, we all know the dynamics of the reality of home life. But then there is this beautiful fantasy called a vacation. How many of us love holidays, vacation? Aussies live for their holidays, don't they? We live. You go to the other parts of the world, they work for work. We work for holidays. There's something about we love a good holiday. And so because at vacation time and at holiday time, you go to the resort or you go to the hotel and someone cleans your room for you. And it's just wonderful. And there's buffet breakfast. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then you might get a foot massage by the pool and you dip in the water and it's beautiful sights. Oh, let's go there now. And, and we're, it's, we're at the resort. We're at vacation. It's awesome. But guess what? It's too good to be true. And you realise the, 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 the week long or the two week long vacation's coming to a close and we're back to the reality. And, and we're back to this and we're back to that. Let me tell you, when God restores you, He doesn't want you to treat your transformation, your breakthrough and your restoration as a vacation you visit once a year at revival conference time. It is intended to be your new reality, your new spiritual address, 
your new encounter with God is your new normal. Everybody like coming out of COVID, oh, what the new normal, it's a new, no, don't believe the lie, the devil is a liar. The new normal is whatever God says it is in your life. It's not what the news headlines say. It's not what the commentators say. Everyone's like, what's the new normal for the church? I say revival. The new normal for what God is wanting to do in your life is determined by God's Word in your life and His Word alone. Don't let your breakthrough be something that you momentarily visit and then you back away from. Because the revival conference nights ended and now we're back to normal rhythm and routines of church life. Oh no, we're building a new foundation. We're building a new platform. God doesn't say, divine acceleration, oh, I, I made a mistake. Let's all just take the foot off the, the, the pedal. Let's just back away from it. God says, no, I'm doing a new thing. I'm trying to take you somewhere. I'm trying to bring you into a new place of influence and promotion in your workplace. And it's not actually about you. Promotion, increase, influence in your life is actually not about you. It's just more responsibility in His kingdom. And if you can be trusted with what you've got in your hands, God will bring increase to you. It's not for you, it's for the extension of His kingdom. It's for you to have a reason for the hope that you have to speak into what God wants to do in your life. Israel lived so long in the wilderness with a survival mentality, they didn't know how to steward the promised land. Many believers have lived so long without in the wilderness that they've just learned to survive, to survive. The, The man at the pool of Bethesda, he's in survival mode. Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be healed? Well, you know, he offers all the excuses. Well, when the waters stir and when there's like, you know, people get in before me and Jesus is like, no, 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 stop that wilderness mentality. Do you want to be healed? Don't worry about the water stirring. I'm the river of living water. I want to heal you. I want to minister to you. There's a new reality I want you to live in. Pick up your mat and walk. Some of us in this season need to pick up our mat, our metaphorical mat, our broken mat and we need to hand it to Jesus and we need to walk in what God has called us to. God does not want you to limp along all your days. He doesn't want you to live in the wilderness all your days with a survival mentality. He wants you to walk in the fullness of your promise, of His promises for your life. There's something about habitation. King David understood it. He said, I I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. He says in Psalm 84.10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell, abide in the tent of wickedness. What's your spiritual address today? Where are you living? Where are you dwelling? Are you dwelling in the survival mentality of the wilderness or in the miraculous fullness of the promised land that God has for you. Jesus is our promised land. And as we follow Him and connect to Him and keep in step with the Spirit, the promises of God overtake you. And so instead of pushing a semi-trailer truck up a hill, you feel like you're holding on to the back of a Ferrari or a Tesla and it takes off from zero to 100 in sub two point something seconds. 
That's not accurate, but whatever it is. And so you take off. I remember I got to drive one when they first come out and there's no sound, no nothing. It's like a rocket ship and literally the G-forces and the thing just catapults forward. That's what a picture of what God wants to do in your life. And, and here's the deal. It's not you making it all happen. It's the work of the Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so even the vision of planting 200 new churches to, that, that, uh, across four global hubs that carry a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations has absolutely nothing to do with uh, brand exposure or franchise expansion. Let's just all put that to bed. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the heart of God to inhabit ruined cities and inhabit them in such a way that the glory of the Lord manifests, the work of revival breaks out, lives are changed, and all across the earth, there are cities crying out for a move of God. We're not the only answer, but God is sending churches and leaders and ministries to these cities because the time is short, the days are being cut short, and there is a divine acceleration of God's purposes across the earth. Not only is revival something where we get to abide and habitate in, but we need to understand that in order for revival, God's intention to take place in our life, it requires our partnership. God's sovereignty is at work. He's moving, He's speaking, He's doing things, but it requires our partnership. What is our part to play? What's our responsibility? Well, firstly, we've got to stay hungry. One of the reasons why moves of God stop is because people become satisfied with the status quo. One of the things that has so blessed my heart and I believe blessed the heart of God is to see the hunger and thirst of people in our church for the things of God. Hungry, revival nights, going for two and a half, three hours and the, 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 it isn't commensurate just because the thing goes longer means that God's more in it. God can speak to you in one minute, a second. But some of us have been so caught up in the spirit of the world and our hearts have been distant and disconnected. It sometimes takes some time for the spirit of God to work on our hearts and make us aware of his presence. Going to get to know someone, you've got to spend time with them. And so we've got to stay hungry because the moment we stop being hungry is the moment the thing stops. Not only that, but we've got to repent quickly. There's been this emphasis today in this service about holiness. This is not a time to tolerate habitual sin. Clean out the closet and the cupboard. Bring your habitual momentary sin before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. This is a time where God is cleansing his house. He's purging and he's cleansing. Why? Because he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. So there's got to be this active repentance, this reconciliation with God, this lack of tolerance for sin, this guarding of the mouth and what we say about other people. One of the biggest things the church needs to do is clean up its confession. Clean up what it says. If there's something between you and a brother or you and a sister in love, in grace, 
In reconciliation, you sit down, you talk it through. Out of the same mouth should not come two different springs of water. Bitter and sweet. Quickest way to stop a move of God in your life is to speak ill, condemnation, judgment upon the church, upon the move of God and upon people. It'll quench the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we repent quickly, but also we steward faithfully. What does that look like? It means you steward your Bible reading life. You eat this book. You turn the TV off and you steward the revelation of God. And you read and you read and pretty soon what happens is your affections for the things of this world dissipate and now your affection is for this. And if you've never experienced that, it seems foreign. It seems like, man, I just don't, I find it difficult to read full stop, let alone read the Bible. There's audio, Bob, just switch it on. Get it into your spirit. You steward this. You steward your altar in your house faithfully. Don't wait to worship on Sunday. You have an altar of worship in your house. I went and bought a really expensive chair. It's called my prayer chair. And it's there in the corner because I wanted to, my time with God to be something that I, I revere and I esteem and there's a value. It cost me something to make room for the presence of God. So I steward it faithfully. How do you prepare for the move of God in your life? You assume a posture of humility. Many Revivals and moves of God have ceased and stopped because pride has entered into the hearts of people. They've thought, well, we're the only ones that God is speaking to, moving through, and they assume a superiority, arrogant sort of complex, and the move of God just stops. The only difference between demons and angels is pride. Every demon on the earth today and in hell could still be an angel if it wasn't for pride. What saw Lucifer thrown down from heaven to the earth? Pride. Quickest way to have God oppose you is pride. And many people embrace false humility thinking that they're humble. No, false humility is often a cover for insecurity. Insecurity is the gateway and the doorway to pride. Insecurity compares and elevates one's worth over others to feel significant. Well, I did this and I did that and I looked this and I looked that and I've accomplished this and I've accomplished that. And whilst the people of the world, the spirit of the world sort of walks around like a peacock parroting all that it's accomplished, God says, you've missed the mark, I oppose you. Isn't there enough resistance in life without the God of heaven and earth opposing you? Quickest way to revival, quickest way to a move of God, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I I create space from people that say, God, will you humble me? The Bible never said for you to pray to humble yourself. God, will you humble me? God will take that prayer seriously. I'm like, everybody clear. There's the lightning bolt about to happen. Everybody clear out the way. The Bible says, humble yourself. Yes. Yeah. So when you're in a conversation, not only look to your own interests, look to their interests. Come on. Come on, Value them, love them, honour them, esteem them higher than you. Yeah. When there's two seats, one at the top of the table, one down the bottom, take the bottom seat. Yeah. 
let others show grace and favour to others rather than you. Don't just talk about how awesome you are and how amazing. Look, there's no one really awesome except Him. Everything you have is because of what He gave you. I think one of the reasons why God keeps giving me stuff in, in, in His kingdom is because I know I'm just a donkey. It's not about me. Literally, I have no technical skills whatsoever. I know that comes as an amazing surprise to you. Even the Qantas lady thought, gee, you look tech savvy. Kai laughed. I was very hurt. <laughs> Trying to punch the computer. I don't know, Kai sorted out. And, and I did this thousand page, literally thousand page survey and all these things paid a thousand dollars for it. And all they told me was what I already knew. You have no technical skills whatsoever. <laughs> like I thought this was supposed to be encouraging. Last Saturday, I'm, I'm working on my notes, my mind map for my message. Five times, hit the wrong button, all deleted. Five times, have to start again. Pray for your pastor. Pray. Oh, intercession, dear Jesus. But you know what I have got in God is faith. Passion for His presence. A heart after the heart of God. And God goes, oh, I love this kid. Here you go, here you go, here you go. Some of you are trying so hard to get so many things on. I know we've got to finish the service, but God is trying to speak to someone in this room. You're trying so hard in all of your efforts and strength. Humble yourself. On your best day, in your best achievement, with the gold medal hanging around your neck, you're still a laugh. God looks at you and says, well, but nothing you've got is because of what you did. I gave you that grace. I we are living in a world that celebrates pride attitude. <laughs> and it's all about what we can do. No, it's not. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's by His Spirit. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.